Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast updates you with the expertise and current insight of the Washington, D.C.-based attorneys from the Fortney Scott Law Firm. Each episode highlights the most important issues and analysis that employers need to know in order to understand and react to key federal developments affecting their business. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice on any subject matter. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone. David Fortney again on the DC Insider What Employers Need to Know podcast. It's great to be with everyone again. And we've got both Nita and Bert back on the cycle and joining the discussion. Bert, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Nice to do this during springtime. Exactly. Nita, is baseball broken out yet? What's going on? We've already had a baseball brawl here in St. Louis. Nothing says spring like brawl. Nothing says spring like brawl. Well, want to really focus today on that oversight hearing that the House committee convened. And the uh, House convened a oversight of both the EEOC and the OFCCP, having the chair of the EEOC, Charlotte Burroughs, and the director of the OFCCP, Jenny Yang, as the only two witnesses that testified, and this is part of a natural rhythm in which Congress uh, conducts oversight of the relevant agencies. And to help us discuss what occurred at the hearing, we have a special guest today, one of our Fortney Scott attorneys who actually attended the hearing in person. And so we're going to get some insights from what she saw. I want to welcome uh, Savannah Shuntich to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, David. I'm excited to be on the podcast today. Well, and Savannah is working us in. She's actually over at a Washington, D.C. hotel, about to go into a meeting with uh, Chair Burroughs. Is that correct? It is indeed. You have me for the next 20 minutes, David. Great. Okay. Well, we want to take full advantage of that time before you have a follow-up, I guess, uh, directly with the chair, which is also exciting. Well, let's talk a little bit about the hearing. The hearing had the formal title of examining the policies and priorities of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. Obviously, this is a hearing convened by the Democrats who control the House of Representatives. So it's a, by definition, a fairly friendly hearing, although Republicans that are in the congressional parlance referred to as minority counsel also participate as well. So, Savannah, you were there. First of all, it was an open public hearing or not? You were telling me that you had some problems gaining access, which I think is kind of strange for a public hearing. What went on with that? Yeah, well, I went thinking, okay, this will just be like any other congressional hearing, go in the visitor's entrance, totally fine. Not the case. I arrived and they told me that I was not getting into the building unless I was either a staffer or with the staffer. So fortunately, we were able to find someone at the last minute to bring me in. I mean, I love this law firm, but I think I would have been out of luck because I'm not prepared to break into a congressional building on our law firm's behalf. (laughs) But I was glad to be able to get into the building and attend the hearing. Great. And so you ultimately, instead of going through that visitor's, that side entrance to Rayburn, you went up to the top at what they call the horseshoe, right, which is the main entrance for all the black Lincoln Continentals drop off the lobbyists and others that are going to hearings. Yes, it was me and many large SUVs. Good. Okay. I trust you went in a very small Fiesta Uber though, correct? Yes, exactly. Perfect. Okay. Keeping with our style. So you finally get into the hearing. Give us a sense of the room because although this was covered on a live feed on YouTube, 
All you see is the person who's speaking. What was the room like? Filled with people? Not? Tell us about the room. You know, the hearing itself was very sparsely attended. And I think that's a function of the fact that it was also available on Zoom. Only about 10 or 12 of the members were even there. And Chair Burroughs and Director Yang had maybe together a dozen staffers with them. And then there were some, a few folks from the committee who were staffers with the committee and me. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a fairly empty room. If you look at the video feed, I was alone in the last row for, for quite a while. Got it. Okay. So you were there for the hearing. How long did the hearing last? It was about an hour and a half total. Hour and a half. Okay. And so you sat through the whole thing. Give us, if you will, your three top takeaways that you saw. So I think the first thing that stuck out is that subcommittee ranking member Russ Fulcher of Idaho. And just for our audience, that means that he's the most senior Republican on the committee. He had some hard questions about the new pay equity audit directive. He stated that the directive was not supported by current regulations. And he also asked why the agency hadn't bothered to go through notice and comment before issuing the directive. Director Yang's explanation was that the directive was simply clarifying existing regulations but I don't think that uh, ranking member of culture was very happy with that answer. Savannah, this is Bert. I was wondering, do you think that's going to be the Republicans' course of attack going forward? Are they going to try to challenge this? Do you get the sense that this was just a, a kind of oppositional question, or do you think they're laying the groundwork for opposition in the future? I think that it's very possible that if the administration changes that they will attack OFCCP on the grounds that it's exceeding its its existing authority. When you say the administration changes, you're referring to a potential change in congressional leadership as a result of the midterm election? Yes. It was interesting because I thought that Yang, Director Yang, tried to sort of deflect that criticism that she was receiving by saying that this directive came out of a regulation. And then she basically turned and said, you know, when there was a challenge based on notice and comment, A, we have a regulation, B, we're getting ready to change the regulations. and Yeah, I mean, I, I think she was sort of trying to say that, hey, there's nothing to see here, you know, clarifying an existing regulation. I don't think it was particularly effective, but I'll, I'll let the others speak to that. Well, that was clearly her response because she's got nothing else she can say at this point to justify what has already occurred. They've selected their lane, which is they're not going to go through rulemaking to change this. They're going to do it unilaterally through sub-regulatory guidance. I think there's great vulnerability there, and I thought that the hearing kind of laid that out. There's greater follow-up, and I would anticipate there's going to be some written questions, did the members say, Savannah, to witnesses? Yes, they said that they would be sending on written questions after the hearing and that they expected a timely response. Yes, okay. So you've identified this pay equity point, and I might add there's one other while we're on this pay equity study the new directive, just to remind folks, also says that if a contractor does that on an attorney privilege basis, the Labor Department takes the position that if you what you've done for regulatory compliance was privileged, they can mandate the waiver of the attorney privilege, which is stunning and potentially, in my view, legally wrong. The ranking member brought that up, and I think that's probably something we're going to see in the written questions that was follow-up. So there was at least a flag on that issue. Good. All right. So, Savannah, that's the first issue. What's the second of your top three? Another thing I found significant was that Representative Virginia Fox, who is a Republican on the committee, asked Chair Burroughs about the possibility that the EEOC will again require employers to report pay data 
Representative Fox was very critical of this idea. She stated that collecting the data has been very expensive for employers and that the data was proved to be low value for the agency. When asked this question, Chair Burroughs to some degree punted on the issue, stating that she would wait to hear back from the National Academy of Sciences before making a determination about whether or not the agency would go that route. But she did talk about how important the data will be to closing the pay gap. So my overall impression would be that they will in the future be returning to collecting pay data from employers. I know Ms. Fox, and she's not exactly the leader of the legal team. So do you think she was, again, do you think she was laying the groundwork for what's going to be a party-wide or even a court-based challenge to the pay data collection scheme? Possibly. My impression was that the Republicans on the committee were the most upset about the OFCCP's rescission of of the religious exemption for contractors. And I think that that's actually where most of the effort is going to be focused in the future. But that is a possibility. One other thing, Savannah, that I heard from, I think it's Dr. Fox, she was called from North Carolina, was she raised an issue about the conflict that we had in the Obama administration and looks like we're going to have again on whether there was a individual who was reinstated by the NLRB who was fired for sexual harassment. And what were your thoughts around that whole discussion? Well, candidly, it was a little embarrassing since this was not a hearing involving the NLRB. I think she had a bone to pick, but she didn't have the right leadership in front of her to to do that. Remember, Virginia Fox is the minority leader of the committee, not the subcommittee. She is the ranking Republican on the committee. So her voice has particular importance and what she prioritizes reflects the committee at large, not just this subcommittee, number one. Number two, I think that her teeing off on the EEO1 component two, the pending and likely pay data collection is extremely important because looking down the road, the midterm elections turn out that the Republicans do control the House of Representatives, Fox will become the leader of the committee and be in control of its entire agenda. So her concerns on collection of pay data, she potentially will be in a position to make a difference before that pay data collection can ever get off the ground, number one. Number two, the focus on the NLRB is a fundamental point, and that is that there was very significant workplace harassment based on sex committed by an individual. The individual happened to be the lead union organizer. His profane lace tirade against coworkers would be cognizable and actionable under any employer's harassment policy. The labor board said that it was protected conduct and would not allow any discipline to be imposed and required him to be reinstated. What was lacking And what Member Fox was trying to get at was, where was EEOC's voice in protecting the Title VII interests in ensuring there is not workplace harassment? EEOC was completely MIA on the whole proceeding, and that has not been the case. That's what was unfortunate. In fact, David, this picks up a fight where the parties were completely flipped last year the EEOC lobbied quite successfully to have the NLRB change its rules to permit a greater opening for Title VII-like claims 
being considered unfair labor practice. This may signal, by the way, a change in the handbook, the so-called Boeing standard that the Democratic NLRB and EEOC is going to support. Very, very significant, although probably lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I want to circle back, though, with what Savannah was saying about the whole religious issue, David. I think there were a number of the representatives, the Republicans, who, as you said, are probably going to be in charge of the House in January based on what we're seeing after the midterms. And they raised not only issues around the OFCCP rescinding protections for religious entities under their regulations, but also they also talked with and raised questions with Chair Burroughs over EEOC's protection under Title VII of religious individuals and their objections. I kind of thought that was interesting because I thought the EEOC did a pretty good job with religious exemptions for vaccines and things of that kind. So they're clearly they're picking at scabs because the religious freedom issue is one that uh, is both a culture war and a congressional issue. Agreed. Savannah, any any final thoughts? Because I know we're very close to the window that you're scheduled to step off. So I want any final thoughts from your reporting on what you saw yesterday at the hearing. You know, I, I think we've hit all the major points. It's just been a real pleasure to be on the podcast today with everyone. I've enjoyed the conversation. Will you tell Chair Burroughs that we send our best? I guess she's going to be addressing artificial intelligence in the higher initiative. And the other day described the higher initiative as being like one of those Russian doll sets. And I'm just interested if she's going to start unpacking and showing us the AI doll that's inside the higher initiative. Maybe we can get another report from you in a future podcast on that, too. That sounds fun. I'm sure I'll have a lot of thoughts. Okay, Savannah. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye, everyone. All right, guys. So... The hearing did not have quite the fireworks that we thought. I thought that the Republicans landed some, you know, meaningful points. The Democrats, as you would expect, it was largely a bouquet-throwing exercise, underscoring you're doing wonderful work. Don't you need more money, more budget, so you can do more wonderful work? And that's what we would have expected, and I think that's largely what we saw. Yeah, you know, one of the things, David, that they didn't go into, and I guess it was premature, is after all, there is going to be a new nominee for an opening on the EEOC. And if that happens uh, with uh, Kalpana Kodigal replacing uh, Janet Dillon, there will be an absolutely profound change at the EEOC. There will be a Democratic majority, which means we will almost certainly get the pay data collection. We'll certainly get information sharing among the agencies, the EEOC, the OFCCP, the NLRB, and anybody else who asks. And there'll be new sex harassment regulations, which raises the issue as to whether and how quickly the new nominee will be confirmed in her role. There's still an opening at the EEOC, not mentioned yesterday, of a general counsel, which makes you wonder what the litigation strategy of the agency is. But all of these things are all brewing. Let me just interject on that. With respect to the nomination for the EEOC chair, although uh, the current commissioner, Janet Dillon's term expires July 1, if the nominee is not confirmed, Commissioner Dillon can remain in her position, which means that the Republican majority would be retained either until confirmation or until the adjournment sine die of the uh, Congress. So that potentially means that, that there could continue to be a Republican majority, even through the balance of this calendar year. And let me suggest the reports I've received indicate that a number of Republicans 
in the Senate who are involved in the confirmation process are very aware of that scenario and the concept of at least slow rolling the nomination for that purpose. Frankly, I was surprised that a nominee was named because had a nominee not been named, Member Dillon would have had to resign. There would have been an opening, but the president elected to name uh, Ms. Kodigal and created this bizarre uh, footnote to the Replacements Act that keeps Ms. Dillon in place. What we've heard, though, at least the underground rumorings that we hear, is that she's not interested in staying after her term ends. So we'll see what happens. One last thing I wanted to mention before we close out the podcast on the EEOC in particular is there's a case that's down in Texas. It's called Texas versus EEOC, and it has to do with some guidance that EEOC put out on the first anniversary of the Bostock decision around employers' obligations for LGBT employees. This has raised a lot of issues about what EEOC can actually do. And so keep an eye on that litigation because it could really cut back what EEOC can provide in the way of guidance to employers. That's a good point, Nita. Another tidbit that I did pick up at the hearing yesterday for OFCCP is that Director Yang confirmed that a new audit list, the uh, Corporate Scheduling Announcement, or CSAL list as it's known, will be published in May. We had informally been advised by contacts at the agency to expect it before Memorial Day. Now we have Director Yang stating that on the public record during the hearing yesterday. So I think that that puts the federal contractor community fully on notice, along with the registering on the portal, other things that we've talked about, that there's going to be a real step up in audit activity. And we anticipate that the new audit list will not be, as they say, the usual suspects. These will be contractors that have not been audited in quite a while. So there may be a little rust that needs to be knocked off by some of those folks. So any final thoughts from the hearing? My only final thought before we get to takeaways is that construction was brought up over and over again. So Keep an eye. Construction is going to be a focus for OFCCP because of all the money in the infrastructure bill. I agree. Okay. Well, let's hit some takeaways. What are the takeaways from the hearing and these related developments? My takeaway is that this was round one in the budget battles. There were a number of references throughout the hearing to resources, the Democrats saying they needed more, the Republicans saying you haven't anything to show for for all the money that you've spent Please remember in this budget with this Congress, the enforcement agencies got absolutely shafted. They got no money at all. The budget requests are gigantic for the next Congress. And uh, depending on what happens in November, I don't think those budget increases are likely. But this was round one of the budget battles. The other takeaway we want to get to, uh, David, is one we brought up. The interest of the Republican members on religious freedom both at OFCCP and EEOC, is very clear. That was probably the number one comment made overall, if you look at the hearing from the Republican side. I agree. Uh, Even though most of the business community isn't focused on that issue, clearly the, the Republicans certainly were. Well, in addition to budget and the religious freedom, the pay data collection and the new directive on pay equity, the pay equity audit that OFCCP has required, has clearly caught the attention, certainly of the Republicans, I think they have correctly honed in on the legal underpinnings and questioning whether the foundational elements are there to justify those new demands. So I think we're going to see more efforts on that front also. Uh, Could I make one final interjection? 
in my experience, which goes back with this committee and these uh, laws a long way, I cannot recall congressional uh, oversight committee dealing with such things as, did you follow the APA? Do you have the authority? These are quotes from the recent Supreme Court decisions on the vaccine mandate. And clearly there is something going on in the Republican caucus to have brought their attention to these issues and brought them to the fore, even in Congress. I think that's a great observation, Burb. And it's one that we've talked a good bit about the administrative state and different challenges. And maybe the congressional, the legislative lane is now going to start showing greater activity. And I think we're seeing that. All right. Well, listen, this is a really great discussion, both Nita and Bert. Thank you so much. It was fun having Savannah. We'll have to get her back again. That was fun, too. We do appreciate you listening. Join us. Be sure and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider. And we'll be talking to you real soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next update. For those that would like to connect with any of the lawyers from Fortney Scott, please reach out to them directly by visiting FortneyScott.com. On the website, you can also listen to previous podcast episodes, as well as pick up your copy of the DC Insider Report and sign up for future updates. Thanks so much for listening.